On Developer Voices today, we're talking about distributed systems, clusters of computers working together. You know, when your software spans more than one machine, or sometimes even more than one country, how do you get it to behave in a safe, sane, rational way? How much of that problem should you push out to the database? How much of it is in the hands of the application developer? To discuss it all, I'm joined by Benjamin Bengfort, who has a really interesting career that we barely had time to touch on. He's worked on self-driving vehicles back in the early days. He's worked on detecting bombs via their 3G signals for naval intelligence. But in his 30s, he went back to school to get a doctorate in globally distributed systems. And that's what we really talk about in this podcast. I started out by asking him, tongue slightly in cheek, Surely we just use Zookeeper and that's the end of the problem. But by the end of our conversation, he has me completely convinced the most fun thing I could do next is write my own distributed consensus mechanism. It's always seemed, it's always seemed a bit like encryption, you know, one of those problems where maybe you shouldn't roll your own. But Benjamin has persuaded me the time is ripe to dig into distributed computing, bypass the off the shelf stuff and build some software that's genuinely tailored to the problem that you're dealing with. I'm inspired. I'm inspired to do some hacking and I hope some of you will be too. So let's do it. Let's go from here in the UK to there in the US, spanning the globe to talk about software that can span the globe. I'm your host, Chris Jenkins. This is Developer Voices, and today's voice is Benjamin Bengfort. I'm joined today by Benjamin Bengfort. Benjamin, how are you today? I'm doing well, thank you. Glad to be here. I'm glad you're here because you're going to take us to school, <laughs> which is going to be fun. You're our um, Developer Voices resident distributed systems expert. Oh, that's such a uh, high praise. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it comes with a badge and a little uh, blazer lapel pin and that kind of uh, thing. Excellent. So I, I'm going to start with the deliberately challenging question, if I may. I think we can probably all agree that there are times when you need to grow beyond writing to one machine, right? So distributed systems are kind of inevitable, past a certain size. But why don't we just, isn't the answer to distributed systems, install Zookeeper and forget about it because it's now someone else's problem? <laughs> <laughs> and that actually is the way that many, many, many distributed systems are built. Um, yeah. I think that that's a fairly common architecture. Zookeeper, etcd, plus some distributed storage system like Ceph underlying it. And then what you end up with is a single node system that can you know, be placed by Zookeeper, right? Um, and so you've turned your distributed system into maybe a sharded or, or sort of multi-part uh, singular system, and now you can reason about the consistency on that shard. Um, but the problem is, is that you've lost some of the gains that you've made by distributing the system in the first place, right? So if the why of distributed systems is we want things like fault tolerance, right? So we want to survive failures. Uh, we want to have high availability, which is a really loaded term. Uh, but for me, high availability is, is, you know, you might have people in North America, you might have people in Europe, you might have people in South America. You want the servers that they're accessing close to them. Right, okay. uh, so that they can get access to their data. That's kind of a different definition of high availability, right? But you, yeah. you want that access close by. Yeah, the the definition I always want to go with high availability is if something explodes at three a.m., do I get woken at three a.m. or can I roll in at nine a.m. and fix it? <laughs> yeah, and actually, that's a that's like the engineer's perspective or the academic perspective. But when you're building applications, you're thinking about your user. So maybe that's the problem, right? That yeah. the disconnect between just using Zookeeper is that you have people who are thinking about the systems, and then the people who are using those systems are thinking about the users. And there's a disconnect. <laughs> uh, right, yeah. Yeah, so maybe we do need to delve a bit beyond uh, just solving it off the shelf. Absolutely. User-focused distributed systems. Th I, I like that. Maybe, yeah. That could be the title of the next book you write. <laughs> That would be that would work. Work. Yeah. 
Okay, so I know you have this theory about the history of um, distributed systems as being like a pendulum between weak and strong consistency, I think you put it. Yeah, I mean, I think that's true for a lot of technologies, right? Especially when you have trade-offs that you have to deal with in technology. And I think the hope is that the pendulum will swing from one extreme to the other and then swing back, but not as far, and then swing back, but not as far. And then hopefully by doing this sort of walk back and forth, we find some uh, you know, trade-off middle ground that's optimal in, in, in the generic case. Um, consistency is no different. And I think studying history is incredibly important, especially with the messaging that happens around uh, these types of systems where they're sort of said, like, these are new, brand new ideas. And then you have someone else who comes in and says, no, these are these are not <laughs> brand new ideas. Um, yeah. But yeah, what's really happening is, you know, the you start off with distributed systems, you want to scale. So you you make weak consistency guarantees in order to scale. Um, and I'll start at, at big table, maybe, uh, sort of early 2000s uh, with with this talk. But this also happened in the relational database community. So as far back as the 70s and 60s, you know, you're talking about consistency and isolation. You know, you have a, a whole sequence of events that's going on in the relational database realm. And yeah. then you restarted it again and, and maybe the no sequel realm i don't know if i want to call it no sequel but in sort of the the new version of distributed systems that happened after the um you know the dot-com bubble popped and yeah. now there was all this dark fiber and <laughs> available serverware that you could you know the google and sort of the big tech guys took real big advantage of uh, yeah. right at the beginning yeah when we um, reached the point where having lots of machines was just yeah. the, the cost of it was easy and the software logistics of it were hard Exactly. And, you know, the hardware changes, you know, also are a big part of the story, right? Things are Mm. getting faster, cheaper. You can have bigger clusters, right? Um, Virtualization, you know, (laughs) there's a whole other side story to this. Yeah. Yeah. There was definitely a time in our history when people didn't think about distributed systems because being able to afford two computers was beyond the realms of imagination, right? Yeah. Yeah. And that's how the relational database community ended up, right? They ended up in like a vertical scaling model. Right. Yeah. Um, because, you know, horizontal scaling was supercomputing, <laughs> you know, type <laughs> technology in sort of the late 80s, uh, early 90s. Yeah. But so once Google has Bigtable, you know, sort of a, a weaker consistency model and it works for them. Right. It works for their advertising portal. But they say, hey, like, let's generalize this and, and give it to other people to use. Other people start to use it for their applications but they can't reason about the consistency semantics in, in Bigtable. So now you go, you swing back the other direction to stronger consistency models. Um, and, you know, at the time, I think it was, you know, uh, data warehousing, things like Vertica, um, uh, Hadoop, uh, with a very strong consistency semantic with uh, HDFS. Um, yeah, but, you know, now these our systems are too slow, right? So you <laughs> you swing back, right? And now we're in sort of Dynamo land and thinking about Dynamo and S3 and, and more eventually consistent models. But again, the people who are building applications on top of these things, they don't know or understand distributed systems because that's not their job. Their job is to build a web application. <laughs> um, and so the consistency semantics are creating bugs or problems that are very costly for them. And so you swing back into things like Spanner. And you know, and so it, it keeps swinging back and forth, this consistency pendulum. And uh, right now, where I'd say that we're at is we're in the uh, the new SQL phase, uh, I think new is what SQL. it's called. New okay. SQL, new school, new SQL, um, where everyone is trying to do SQL, distributed SQL transactions. So give application developers a consistency semantic that they understand, you know, SQL and isolation levels, but do it in a distributed fashion. Um, this and is the rise of things like... And other things come in. Yeah, all these different databases that aren't relational databases, but want you to access them with SQL. Right? Yeah, and like Postgres drivers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Don't, don't look under the covers, because honestly, it's a lot more complicated than you want to think about. Exactly. Um, and the consistency problems do pop up. You know, yeah. Aurora is notorious. <laughs> yeah, that's sometimes that's the worst thing, when it behaves mostly like a consistent system, and then there are edge cases where suddenly you need a degree to understand what's going wrong yeah but maybe we should step back a bit and say 
because you've said weak consistency and strong consistency. Maybe we should define those okay, to know where we are and then move forward from that. Yeah. So first, you know, what I want to say is I personally believe that consistency is a continuous spectrum um, between weak and strong. And that's an academic opinion of mine, uh, <laughs> you know, and there's a, an academic debate about whether that's true or not. Um, I point to two things to talk about that. So first, Cassandra will actually, on a per query basis, let you choose how many replicas are involved in, in the read and write query. So one of the ways that you might think of consistency as a spectrum is that, you know, if, if you have a 30-node Cassandra cluster, which kind of ridiculous, but if you did and you chose one replica for your read or your write, that's the weakest possible consistency that you can get. Whereas if you choose 30 replicas in that cluster, you now have the strongest you know, possible consistency that you can get. And then any number of you know, read-write replica sets in between, you get this sort of varying consistency over time. So is this what we're saying, that like in a distributed system, you write some data, inevitably the data ends up first in one machine? Inevitably, yeah. <laughs> and then it's spread across the cluster, and by the time you come to read it, are you going to get the same answer regardless of who you talk to or not? I mean, I think that's a good definition of consistency. So even before we get into like what is weak and what is strong consistency, maybe we should talk about consistency. <laughs> yeah. um, folks who are used to databases probably recognize the C and ACID uh, as consistency, but in distributed systems, it's actually C and I, right? It's isolation and consistency. So it's not just data consistency, it's also what is the experience of one user querying the database from an external perspective? Yeah. So broadly, what you might say is given a system of more than one replica and just treat it as a black box, if you give reads and writes to the system, uh, are you always going to get the same answer from two different concurrent clients? Right. That's that's what consistency is. Yeah. And so in a weak consistency, like if you have two replicas, replica A, replica B, and client one connects to replica A and writes to X, and client two connects to replica B and reads from X, and then client A reads from replica A, they're going to get two different answers for what X is unless replica A and B coordinate somehow to ensure that that write is the same thing that they see. Yeah. And that does kind of translate to isolation. You know, we talk about read committed, you know, snapshot isolation, that kind Can of stuff. Can you read your own rights, that kind of stuff? Exactly, read your own yeah. rights. But it's also, you know, that's more about transactions, but it's also about just sort of the data consistency model. Like, you know, have we violated any invariance? Like, if X is a number, should X always be greater than zero in sort of the classic accounting, you know, ATM transaction case that a lot of yeah. people like to talk about in school? Um, or if it's a unique value, you know, what happens if one person writes to X on A and one person writes a different uh, X to uh, B and it's supposed to be unique, one of them is supposed to get an error back. This wasn't unique. But yeah. if A and B don't know about X, then they're both going to succeed. And you've violated the C in ACID in that case. You've violated the uniqueness constraint. And plenty of systems, even like modern systems, say the way to solve this is to have concurrent readers but a single writer. That is one way to do it, <laughs> certainly. <laughs> uh, this is sort of the high availability Postgres model, right? Uh, where you have one uh, read, write, Postgres uh, replica, and then you have a lot of standby replicas is now the terminology. And you can have standby replicas that can take over if the first one fails, that's mostly fault tolerance. Or you can have standby read replicas, um, you know, so that you can have that sort of high availability, you can read from those replicas. But you do introduce a, an inconsistency in the form of stale reads. Uh, in that case, right? So if, if replica B is a read-only replica and it's behind the read-write replica, it can you can read something that's not current, right? You can read something that's untrue. Yeah. So you end up, um, the main server is in San Francisco. You're reading off a replica in Australia because that's where you are. It's delayed. But then when you go to post a new transaction, that has to go over to San Francisco because that's where the writer is. It is. 
and you could end up reading your order history and the order you've just put in hasn't made it around the round trip by the time you do that. Exactly. And it introduces the transaction problem again, because if you want to read then write, which is a very common op operation, you mm. can't read from one replica and then write to the other. You have to do your read then write on the primary. Yeah. And <laughs> then do you push that into developer space to make sure right. they're handling those semantics? And so now your Australian user has a worse experience than your San Francisco user. So what was the point of distributing the system in the first place? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's faster, but it's also more wrong. <laughs> that's true. And that's, is, actually, I say that facetiously, but is that ever the right trade-off? Faster, but wrong? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I do believe that's a good trade-off, right? I think that a lot of people want to say, like, strong consistency is the thing that we want, right? Mm -hmm. And... You know, we haven't even gotten, you know, talked about weak versus strong, but there was a reason that Bigtable was successful. There's a reason that Dynamo and other eventually consistent systems are successful, and that's when collisions are rare, right? When it's a rare that two clients are going to be working on Object X at exactly the same time, um, and when collisions are rare, a weaker consistency system does improve the performance, availability, and fault tolerance of the overall system. Um, and you just have to somehow deal with those collisions you know, downstream. And if you can do that at the application level, then you know, this weaker consistency system behaves better overall. But what that means is that the application developer has to know what the semantics are of that weaker consistency model so that the application can deal with it. And, yeah. and that's where the gap is. <laughs> that always seems tricky because it always seems like when we buy into um, a distributed system with those semantics, we start off trying to follow the rules. And six months into developing the project, we start to behave like everything works the way it does in development. Right. Because <laughs> everything is always completely consistent in development, right? Because the network's so small and fast. Yes, um, and or you're just developing on a single node, which is even yeah. worse. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I think one of the issues is that, you know, in the case that I just talked about where collisions are rare, hmm. they're even rarer in development because you're not pushing the system as hard as you would be in production. Yeah. Um, and then even in production, they're hard to notice, right? Uh, like if we talked about this, you know, client A reading X and client B reading X, client A and B have to talk to each other in order to figure out that something went wrong, right? Yeah. They can't just sit there and be like, oh, this is a consistency problem. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it's really hard to observe consistency problems, uh, generally yeah. speaking. <laughs> yeah, it normally ends up that you just get weird behavior that the users are complaining about, and then you exactly. realize. And that's a horribly far down the pipeline time to find out about these problems. It is. And distributed debugging of consistency problems is horrendous. Um, <laughs> etcd recently had a massive bug that was a consistency-related bug. Um, and the way it manifested itself was it kept overwriting decisions that it already made. And it kept that, you know, basically these in these very few, very rare cases, etcd would fill up its storage volume and then like blow up. And yeah, I mean, there's a great uh, KubeCon talk about this uh, from last year's KubeCon 2022, KubeCon in Detroit. So if you're interested in, in that that bug in etcd, I do recommend that video. Um, and, I'll put a link uh, to that in the show notes. Yeah, absolutely, Alan. <laughs> so I'm link to you. But yeah, the um, you know, so anyway, this problem is happening, and and everyone is trying to debug it, and like no one can figure out what's going on, and is it on the application side? It's clearly an etcd problem. Etcd is running Raft, right? And so everyone's looking at Raft. Like, did you do something wrong with Raft? Is it like the strong consistency system? Is it is it something wrong there? Is there a bug um, with the invariance? Is Raft not safe? Uh, but it actually turned out to be the consistency of the level DB transaction that's under Raft when it's writing to disk. Right. They oh. were actually opening two concurrent transactions to write to level DB and not closing one of the transactions. And so one transaction would beat the other transaction. And that's what was causing this failure. So, <laughs> you know, um, 
but you know, back to the sort of original point was just like, you know, the weird thing that we saw was etcd filling up its storage volume. But how do you diagnose that, right? Like, how do you, and it's so rare, like it only happened in these few cases, like tons of people are running etcd successfully in production without this, yeah. you know, very edge case, you know, very low probability occurrence happening. Um, and it's very difficult to fix. And if you watch the video, the story of how they found it and fixed it is is months worth of effort oh, <laughs> and heartache. Yeah. What so it's important you... to get it right when you start. <laughs> <laughs> As ever. But you can't just say that without giving me some guidance and hope. That's true. That's true. Because I, the thing that makes this really hard is I think our brains are hardwired for linear time. Well, that is extremely uh, philosophical, uh, and, you're, <laughs> and you're right. You know, we think in instances of time. Yeah. And when you ask me to describe weak versus strong consistency, you know, I before I even define those things, I started in with well, consistency is a spectrum. But we as developers, we still think about these positions on the consistency spectrum, right? There's weak consistency, there's eventual consistency, there's causal consistency, sequential consistency, and then linearizability. And I agree that we think in linear time, but we don't think in linear time, like I'm not thinking in your linear time. I'm only thinking in my linear time. And so, but the two of us are talking concurrently <laughs> right right yeah <laughs> and so as a developer like how do you develop a system where there's multiple actors in the system that have to linearize some sequence of events uh you know and obviously they can coordinate just like you and i can coordinate uh, but there are two separate linear streams of time um so you're saying our, our first step is to imagine ourselves in a crowd yeah absolutely yeah so, so take me through. Dan- how about dancers i think dancers <laughs> is a good a good analogy that's actually how i prefer to develop there's actually two i think models of distributed systems development hmm. um so the one that i subscribe to i suppose is very close to the actor model okay but what you do is you develop a single node, right? Which implies that you're gonna have a homogeneous system of all of these same nodes, right? And you think about the behavior of that node. And what you wanna do is you wanna come up with the simplest set of behaviors on the replica so that when you add them all together, you get more complex behavior, right? So from simple local behavior, you get global emergent behavior. Yeah. So in the dancer analogy is you think about the choreography for one dancer, and sure, it looks great when there's one dancer, but if you put 20 dancers and they're all doing the same choreography, it looks amazing. (laughs) Right? Yeah, this is um, the model I follow is that actor model. This is, um, I'm reminded of something Louis Pilfold said to me recently. It's like, it's easier to write a reliable web server for one request and then make a million of those. Exactly. To make a web server that can reliably serve a million requests. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly it. Hmm. Um, But that's not the only model. So then there's the specialization model or the specialist model, uh, which is kind of the other model of development. And in the specialist model, you say, okay, this we're going to think about these different roles and responsibilities. And here is the responsibility for this type of replica. Here's responsibility for this type of replica. Here's the response. And you have specialization. Um, And that might be more akin to like a cheerleading squad, right? Where you have people who are doing the lifts and you have people doing the flips and you have people who are getting lifted, right? Right. Uh, Thank you for taking me through that because we don't have cheerleaders over this side of the pond. (laughs) Gymnasts, I guess. Uh, (laughs) Uh, Or, you know, or a dance that has maybe more complex components to it, like modern dance versus, uh, you know, something else. Um, uh, And like, if you actually look, we can take this back to the the distributed systems, Paxos is the specialization model of development. So Paxos, you have replicas, acceptors, leaders, uh, commanders, scouts, 
right? Oh, you really? have all of these specialized roles in Paxos, whereas Raft is the actor model, right? Raft, you have one replica. Here's what it does. It can become the leader, but it can also then go down to becoming a follower, right? So Raft versus Paxos, you can see those two different think styles of thinking about developing distributed systems. Right, because I'll check my knowledge here. The Raft and Paxos, the surface differences, they behave exactly the same. Paxos came along and it did all this like leader election stuff. Raft came along and said, we can do exactly that, but you'll understand the algorithm better. I mean, I think that was certainly Diego's goal <laughs> was, was <laughs> understandability. <laughs> um, and uh, uh, Diego Garcia and uh, John Asterhout, the, the authors of Raft. Um, I think I might have gotten Diego's last name wrong. Diego. Yeah, anyway. <laughs> Hopefully you can cut that out. <laughs> I'll have yeah. a subtitle caption on the YouTube version that corrects it for you. <laughs> Sorry about that little brain fart. Um, yeah, I mean, that was certainly the goal of Raft was understandability, right? Mm -hmm. and, and even the name of the paper was a more understandable consensus algorithm. Um, and, you know, I remember the initial way that this went about was they taught Raft and they taught Paxos. And then they gave a survey to students that they were teaching to see what they understood to show that Raft was more understandable than Paxos. Um, but... You know, they're the same in the sense, you know, if you think about multi-Paxos, where you have a leader that can cover multiple slots, or so rather, sorry, multiple ballots uh, versus... Sorry, what does that mean? Well, so Paxos is, Paxos is all about safety and theory, right? Um, you know, Lamport defined Paxos thinking about safety, you know, and thinking about these multiple processes that we're running. So replicas have slots and the slots hold commands. Um, and what the goal is, is to have replicas have the same list of commands in all of the same slots. And the way they achieve this is by asking a synod, <laughs> which is, yeah, all of these terms in Paxos, they ask a synod to decide what command should go in one slot. And the synod does that with balloting. So slots and ballots are kind of different, although whenever people think about Paxos, they always unify them. Right. <laughs> so, so they are a little different. Um, whereas, you know, Raft is about a single totally ordered log of commands, um, which obviously is a, a simplification of the Paxos model. Um, and then, uh, all, you know, Paxos has all of these invariants for the different roles, um, you know, for, for leader, you know, uh, acceptor, committer, you know, proposer, scout, commander, all these different roles have all these different invariants that they have to follow. And Raft replaces many of the invariants with timing, right, and timeouts. What, take, what does that mean? Take me through that. Uh, yeah, so Lamport uh, has this idea of sequential consistency, right? Um, and if you are a distributed systems academic, uh, you don't believe in time. Right? <laughs> right. There's, there's no such thing as time, right? Once you've got tenure, I suppose that's a natural response. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, so instead of time, what you have is you have things happening before something else, okay, right? Yeah. So, you know, this happens before this, this happens before this. And if they're you have, if you have two events that have no relation to each other, it just means that you can't establish a happens before ordering. Um, so in distributed systems, you don't have time, you have the ordering of messages that are received by the system, right? So, you know, you don't put a timestamp on it because my clock could be different than your clock. So yeah. you said like, I got this message, then I got this message. Um, which implies a total serializability of messages, uh, which is one very big bug that a lot of people who are just writing distributed systems make is they, they forget that most web servers paralyze requests <laughs> and, and request handlers. <laughs> right, <of> yeah. <laughs> so you have to have this sort of sequentially order, sequential ordering of messages uh, in order for all of this to work. Um, and so RAF says, okay, you know, that's fine. Um, but, you know, broadly speaking, at a higher level of time granularity, 
uh, you can, you know, you know, as long as we're at like the millisecond level or the second level, you know, that level of granularity, we can have timeouts and things in order to control uh, these roles and responsibilities. Uh, so there's, you know, uh, heartbeat timeouts and uh, candidacy timeouts that control right. what roles each node in the system has, um, as opposed to Paxos, uh, where, you know, you send a bunch of messages out, like saying, hey, I would like to be the leader for this slot. And then if you, you know, if you get enough responses saying, sure, you can be the leader for this ballot, then you proceed. But if someone else says, no, I'm actually at a higher ballot, then you kind of flip flop back and forth. Uh, and, and it's all about the timing of messages so that one node, like all the mes nodes get the messages at the same time in the same order rather than just actual clock time. Right. Already this seems very hard to implement in practice. Yes, and there's a whole lot of academic literature that complains about how hard Paxos is to implement. <laughs> <laughs> Did all the complaints come before Raft was written or after? Um, you know, that's hard to say. The majority of the complaints came before Raft was written. Okay. So pre-Raft, I think use Zookeeper, use Chubby, use etcd to build your system, that was the right thing to do, right? Mm. Because someone or many someone spent a lot of time dealing with the Paxos implementation, right? Yeah. And then you didn't have to worry about it. But post-raft, right, uh, I think it is a little simpler to implement these consensus algorithms. Um, so ePaxos and, and raft, with a little bit of time and care, those things are able to be implemented in an effective and safe way. Um, really? So you're saying it wouldn't be mad to roll your own? I don't think it would be mad to roll your own. And I think that we're seeing the effects of that, right? Cockroach has rolled their own. Etcd rolled its own raft. Um, Kafka recently. Kafka recently. Nats. Um, uh, Red Panda. <laughs> you know, I mean, like, it's, it, it, it's, it's not uncommon, right? You know, the, these... The HashiCore has one console, you know, so there are tons of systems out there that you can look at the implementation, they're open source, and that you can slightly tweak to your use case. Um, okay. You know, even inside Raft, you know, we were talking about read versus write. Well, Raft elects a leader, all of the writes can go through that leader, but are you allowed to read from a follower? Yes or no. And actually, if you can read from the follower, then you've got what we talked about originally, which is, you know, the, the read uh, secondaries, yeah. um, which might, you might give you stale reads, but you still have strong, consistent, strongly consistent writes. So even when you're implementing raft, <laughs> you still can make choices. Are we aggregating commands? Are we sharding raft? There's still a lot of things that you can do even inside of that implementation. So now post raft, post epaxos, we're in a world where I think people can and should explore writing their own consensus algorithms. Wow. That's I didn't think anyone would ever say that. <laughs> Go ahead and comment. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, willing, I'm willing to do that and <laughs> to say that. And, and okay. we haven't even talked about the eventual consistent algorithms, but, you know, also writing gossip protocols, right? And, and thinking about, you know, uh, anti-entropy uh, type eventually consistent replication is also another thing people should be considering doing because what you can do then is you can embed your application semantics into the storage system that you're writing. Ooh, that sounds exciting and weird and um, avoiding all those lovely abstract out your distribution layer things. Exactly. Tell me about that. One of my favorite examples is, of this is ArcuLite, uh, which is Raft SQLite. So it's a Raft replicated SQLite server. Um, okay. And the way that you do transactions in ArcuLite, and I, I'm not an expert in ArcuLite, so the, you know, <laughs> but what, what I looked at this implementation and what it looks like you do is you take your transaction, everything between begin and end, right, a bunch of commands, hmm. and you bundle that all together, and that's one raft command. And you raft it around, and then it gets executed on SQLite server, and then you find out as a user whether the transaction succeeded or whether it was rolled back. Um, right, because um, SQLite is naturally single-threaded, right? Uh, is that still the case? I don't actually know if that's true or not anymore, because I know that SQLite has a lot of locking uh, inside of it, and you can actually open a SQLite database now for multiple processes. Oh, right, okay. Maybe I'm out of date there. But you know, you're now saying <laughs> it's possible to do it from multiple servers. 
Right. So yeah, ArcuLite basically makes SQLite a server. Mm-hmm. And also, just while we're here, SQLite is an incredible technology. Um, I am such a big fan of SQLite. Uh, it is really just uh, an amazing piece of database technology, and I highly recommend considering to you using it even in inside of your Kubernetes clusters because uh, it's easy to attach a volume and drop a SQLite server there, and then you don't have to deal with all the like HA Postgres stuff, <laughs> and you still have a relational <laughs> database under the hood. And it's an incredibly effective tool. Yeah. Okay. Um, I. One thing I remember finding out, to my surprise, is that um, there's a SQLite database in the iOS um, core libraries. Yeah, I, yeah, yeah for, a lot of mobile applications make use of it uh, as well. And I think a lot of browsers use something very similar. Um, I think it might be called IndexedDB. Yeah, yeah, their um, internal HTML5 database. That's SQLite yeah. under the hood most times, right? I, or a fork of SQLite or something like that. Um, uh, I don't know for sure, but yeah, I think that it, it's it's gotten around. Um, you know, SQLite, uh, Maria, uh, DB, Level DB, RocksDB, like there's all these sort of embedded database engines out there that are just you know available for distributed systems researchers to use or distributed systems application developers to use. Um, you know, to create higher level distributed systems from. Cool. Yeah, haven't we though? It seems like we've got very firmly into this idea of elect a single writer. And however you do that and however you change who's leader now, we're still doing single writer model. Yes. Um, and that's certainly uh, one of the ways that things goes down, uh, especially with Raft. And, you know, the leader is a bottleneck. Right. And, you know, I'm primarily interested in in large geographically replicated data systems. So I like the idea of, uh, you know, someone in San Francisco and Australia and Europe. I want to see how those database systems work. But, you know, in practice, you know, even just having something on, you know, one side of the continent, the other side of the continent can introduce a lot of problems, you know, Mm -hmm. even with a fiber trunk uh, between them. So, you know, the first method to deal with the leader-based system uh, is to shard, um, you know, the the system, right? So you have multiple leaders operating on different tablets uh, of data uh, or different shards of data, and you're running, um, you know, multiple raft quorums. Um, And this is how a lot, that's how Cockroach works. That's how Spanner works. Uh, You know, you'll see basically huge numbers of raft quorums inside of a lot of bigger uh, distributed systems, and they're just working on different pieces. And one of the reasons that works is, let's say that you have a three-node system. Well, we know that the leader is doing most of the work, right? The followers aren't doing most of the work. Yeah. So what we do is we break our object space down into three parts, and then hopefully what will happen is that you will have you know, part one on one replica, part two on one replica, part three on replica, and they're all sort of leaders for each of their parts. And so you're maximizing, you know, CPU and, and uh, you know, disk rights across all the partitions. Um, yeah, but you how know. do you generally tend to shard that? Is it like, <laughs> to simplify, you've got all the um, accounting stuff in San Francisco and all the uh, user data in Europe? Right. And all the product catalog in Australia, or are you sharding it by all the keys from A to M end up in San Francisco? Or are you sharding it from, from the provenance of the first right, uh, oh. which for GDPR uh, compliance or, you know, CCPA or the other privacy laws that we have, yeah. you know, basically the key space is provenance related. So whoever the first writer was, it has to stay, the leader stays in that region. Um, oh, that's that's particularly spicy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But again, this is just another point, right? Like your application should determine, right, how this is happening. And, you know, some database systems might give you control over that. But, you know, being, you know, it's, you're going to get to the use case eventually where your sharding mechanism maybe doesn't exactly match um you know, what the database is providing you. And then there's an opportunity to start thinking about 
rolling your own solution <laughs> and ensuring wow. that your sharding technique works. I never thought we'd hit the day when you were saying generally companies should be thinking about rolling their own distributed systems as they grow. Uh, you know, like I said, it's a, probably a controversial uh, opinion, <laughs> um, but I I think that we are in that phase right now. I don't think that phase will last forever, mm. um, but I think that's what might help us with the innovation uh, that we need to get to the next stage. And frankly, in the early 2000s, that's where we were at then, right? Google was rolling their own, Twitter was rolling their own, Amazon was rolling their own, Square was rolling their own, Dropbox was rolling their own. So, yeah. you know, there have been phases in databases and distributed systems technologies where companies thought, okay, it's actually better for us to roll our own. And the only, and, you know, at the time, those companies that I just mentioned weren't big tech. <laughs> like they are now, yeah. right? Yeah. You know, back then it was Microsoft and Oracle and Yahoo, and <laughs> these were the little guys, right? And so now we're back in that same phase again, right? Where now with privacy laws, more globalization, more cloud locations than ever before, right? I mean, five minutes and you can have some, I can have something running in every single continent, right? Yeah, <laughs> you know? Except Antarctica. <laughs> except for Antarctica. That's true. Yeah. I can't get there quite yet. <laughs> uh, so six out of seven is not bad, right? But, um, yeah. and, you know, and, you know, if you look at the planned rollout of these cloud locations, right? South Africa, Northern Africa, uh, Brazil, um, Peru are getting new data center locations. So it's easier than ever before to just put something up in Japan, put something up in, in Europe, put something up in India. So and we're in that phase. Where, yeah, all the problems that come with it. <laughs> and all the problems that come with it. Yeah, exactly. And also we're facing the problems. So yeah, I think you should roll your own. We're in that phase where innovation is necessary and the more people that are working on it, and if you feel enabled or empowered to do it, that's where the innovation will come from. Right, yeah. So you're more saying it's that's the next natural swing of this pendulum. Exactly. Okay, I think then you have to give me your Benjamin Bengfort guide to writing my first at raft algorithm oh my goodness yeah <laughs> we want to go with raft in that uh, <laughs> <laughs> um yeah writing raft uh is um easy at first uh and and hard <laughs> after uh <laughs> so the step number one is you want to make sure that there's a single thread right or a single place where all messages are handled in raft right so whether you're using you know grpc or you're using an http client uh, your server in, in the thing that you're embedding all of your messages are going to be coming in concurrently and you want all of those messages whether they're from a client or from another replica to go through what i like to call one big pipe right so yeah. step one is make sure that you totally order your messages within your system and so if you're using Go, channels are great for that, right? If you're using something that has mutexes or something like that, you want to make sure that your central thing is handling one message at a time in as close to the order uh, that they're coming in as possible. Some kind of software transactional memory thing. Exactly. Right, yeah. Exactly. Okay. So step one is make sure you've got the one big pipe thing locked down. Uh, step two is uh, implementing your timers and remembering that your timers have to go through the one big pipe, right? So you might start to think of these things more like events, right? So a message received from a client or from a replica is an event and a timer going off is an event. And these events have to be ha happen have to be handled in order with one big pipe, right? So one central process. Okay, so if I'm using like a, a channels or coroutines thing, I might have one machine that's just responsible for sending heartbeats, and that goes into the coroutine pipeline. Exactly. It's exactly. not something within my single raft atom that's time ticking. Exactly. Okay, yeah. okay, okay. I'm, yeah, I'm with you so, so far. <laughs> yeah, so, and, and, 
really, if if you do that, you've solved like 80% of the bugs that the undergrads <laughs> and graduate <laughs> students who are being taught this uh, usually have, right? right. Um, because they usually end up having, uh, you know, cont- lock contention issues uh, or other types of concurrency issues, like concurrency issues between the heartbeat and the networking component, right? So you just want one thing that's rafting, right? One thing <laughs> that's managing the state, uh, and that goes through. Uh, the second thing that's important to think about is you want your RAF replicas to fail hard, right? You want them to die totally, <laughs> um, which is another thing that I think a lot of people have problems with, right? So uh, you don't want to get into like a partial shutdown state. Uh, you don't want to get into like, you know, partially writing to disk <laughs> um, or anything like that. You, you want things to die and, and die completely, um, and, and so thinking about like, what are you using for your storage under the hood? Um, I personally recommend level DB, uh, as, as sort of the storage layer under the hood to start off with, because it's so easy to get started. Um, or you could use something like badger DB that has transactions and, and buckets. Uh, but you want to make sure that you're using something so that you understand the consistency model from that sort of central process, uh, all the way on down. Uh, and that if something goes wrong or something shuts down, it all just completely goes away and dies completely right and your <laughs> partial right gets rolled back or uh and your partial right gets rolled back exactly yeah, um, okay um or you know you don't you know one mistake that people make is like they have like a heartbeat messenger right and so every time the heartbeat uh timer goes off they send a message right but that's dependent on that replica being a leader right so if you're if you if you're if you're don't become like if if uh, you lose your leadership status, that heartbeat mm-hmm. timer needs to stop. But it could be that it's sent a heartbeat message <laughs> because it's an independent uh, process. Yeah. So th- yeah, this is another reason, right? That everything happens in that sort of one order of events, right? The heartbeat timer goes off. That middle thing is going to send heartbeat messages, right? It knows that I'm the leader state. It sends its heartbeat messages out. Then yeah. the next thing comes in, and this is like a, you know a, a, a vote, right? And the vote term is higher than my term. Well, now I've got to go down to a follower, right? Uh, because you know the term has changed, right? And I got to get all the messages from the log that I missed, right? And then the next thing comes in, and maybe it's an append entries from the new leader, right? Everything has to happen like one at a time, whether it's a timer message or whether it's a, a network message. Right. Okay. And then within that, I'm building like, uh, can I download like the raft state machine spec and just implement that? Yeah. So if, if you go to the paper, right, uh, in the paper, there's like a, a one page description of the algorithm right it's in it's in blue and red and uh, has like black text and it's just like a box and it says like this is what a follower does this is what a leader does here are the invariants here's when you should be sending these messages here are these timeouts it's just one page you can pull up that page and as long as you get the things right that i just said more or less (laughs) you will end up with a working raft system you make it sound so easy uh, yeah, I don't want to imply that it's easy, but with like a little effort and a little consideration, I you know I think that it's it's buildable, it's doable, okay. and it's a fantastic exercise, even if you're not going to put it into production on your own it for just understanding good. the semantics of a distributed system. Because there was, I mean, there was a time I would have said anyone attempting to do that was mad. <laughs> you're, you're now saying it's a sane thing to do. It's sane. Now, I mean, the devil's always in the details, right? Um, Mm -hmm. So I've tried to head off most of the issues that people have had by minimizing the amount of mutexes that are around state and minimizing the amount of concurrency issues by using that one big pipe thing. Mm -hmm. That is where a lot of the edge cases come in. Um, What you're not going to solve by doing this exercise is things like uh, you know, the FLP, FLP problem, uh, or as I prefer to call it, the leader thrashing problem, where, you know, you have the timing is like, if you set up your timing wrong in raft, the leaders will just thrash, right? So one person will say, I'm the candidate. And then the other person will say, I'm the candidate. And then they'll say, I'm the candidate. And they'll just keep trying to be candidates and just keep trying to climb the term numbers up right. and up. Um, so you need to make sure you do things like have stochastic, uh, intervals for candidacy timeouts. So everyone's not becoming the leader at the same time. You need to configure your system so that you have enough time between timeouts 
right? So that you have this sort of reasonable outage when you don't have a, le- a leader, but also so that the new leader can elect itself without thrashing. Right. Yeah. You know, so there are problems that you'll encounter when you're running this in production, um, you know, that aren't on that one pager <laughs> in a wrap paper. Um, but, you know, getting to that good quality state where you can get a leader elected, uh, you can kill the leader and a new leader gets elected and you can get totally ordered commands through the RAF system. Mm. I, I'd say that's a doable exercise. Cool. And what happens when you've got that, when you've got like, you've got it working and you've got your leader up do you just how does it actually work when i want to actually start writing some data do i then just send my data packets to raft and it has a special message that says ah now i'm just writing this data or (laughs) yeah i mean that's actually a great question so like now what do we do with it well yeah yeah i mean so you're building some sort of application, right? Uh, you know, if, if you just want like nominate a leader and like tell me where to write, probably you should just use etcd for that or Zookeeper if you're if you're writing in Java. Um, but now that you have Rafta up and running, you can start thinking about the application semantics of whatever you're doing, right? So the simplest thing to start with is a, a key value store. <laughs> right? right. Um, and so what you have inside the key value store is you're just totally ordering all of your puts, right? Um, and if you want linearizability, which is the strongest form of consistency, you can also totally order all of your gets as well. So every client says, I want to put this value to this key. And then Raft turns that into a command, right? Replicates it around, it's in this log, and then it executes that command onto their local database. Mm. And then now if you have concurrent puts that are coming in, right, they are totally ordered. So you end up with that sequential consistency. Uh, this happened before this, right? This put happened before this. Um, yeah. Even if they come in in different nodes. Um, and then you can start to think to yourself, okay, well, you know, we have this object space that belongs in one shard and this object space that belongs in another shard. So maybe now we have two raft replicas that are working on opposite shards so that we can increase throughput. Um, and now you have sort of a distributed key value store, um, you know, that might be using, you know, key hashing or something like that uh, to, to distribute uh, the different shards. So, you know, now you start to think about your application but maybe that sort of key value store is, you know, and if the key value store, you can start thinking, okay, well, I want caching, I want eviction. So now on top of my raft cluster, I'm going to have another process that will start to do eviction uh, in a consistent manner, right? So eviction becomes a consensus process uh, inside the system. And right. so you can start to see how like anytime you want something that has a strong consistency semantic in your application, you, you already have this sort of underlying consensus thing running on the nodes and you're not asking some external system to do it for you right you can have these internal processes that are working so you can literally describe the custom menu of commands you want to be rafted exactly yeah exactly like with arculite right like any insert or update is getting rafted any select just goes to whatever replicas underlying <laughs> you know thing that it has right so yeah. you can you can absolutely or you could create a lock server right now if you have a lock server uh maybe you just use etcd for the lock server um but you can create a lock server if you want to do more complex uh key value transactions like maybe i don't want to just do a, a put on x i also i want to do a put on x y and z and i want to make sure that i lock all of those keys before i put oh, them together yeah, yeah. or you um, can int- implement your own check and swap right i want to put exactly x provided x is currently this value yeah yeah um or maybe i want to uh start thinking about a file system right (laughs) and i want to create a distributed file system or i want to create uh you know a, a distributed compute system that uh where the executors are working on specific pieces of data you know and that we have fault tolerance on the executors um and you start thinking about well i don't need something as massive as yarn or mesos or something like that right so now you have this little consensus algorithm that's working to manage your your distributed compute or maybe now i want to build a graph database right you can start to see how you start to build up 
uh, how your consistency model, like what you're going to allow to have like a weaker consistency, what you might be allowed to be replicated differently versus what types of operations go through consensus um, and they're already on your, your data storage system. Yeah, yeah. Do you know it reminds me of a little hack I've been playing with is like um, a networked game engine. Okay. where you have this bunch of commands, which is I'm joining the game, I'm leaving the game, and so forth. And then you've got within that session thing uh, a packet of commands that actually relate to the game that's actually been played, like fire the missiles, for instance. Okay. And it's a bit like that, isn't it? It's like once yeah. you've got this base layer of session consensus management, then you can stick whatever you like in the middle of that data type. Absolutely. That. I don't know if anyone's ever said this in history, but by gosh, you've made it sound like fun. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, if, if there's one goal I could have, yeah, I, I, it, it should be fun, right? You know, I, I do want it to sound like fun. I, you know, this is where I think Paxos struggled. Paxos focused on safety, right? Mm. Raft focused on understandability. Um, you know, ePaxos focused, you know, I also recommend looking at ePaxos too. So we're, we're talking about Raft, but ePaxos is another, um, you know, there's basically two optimizations to base Paxos. Uh, optimization one is called the, the leader-oriented Paxos, which is multi-Paxos, Raft, and a, and a whole host of others. Uh, and the other optimization is um, optimistic fast path. Um, and this is what fast Paxos and ePaxos do, is they try to get, they basically... Maybe I should back up for a second. <laughs> for any consensus algorithm, there has to be two phases minimum. There has to be a propose phase and an accept phase. Minimum. You probably also have a commit phase or an execute phase, probably. Right. But there has to be a propose phase or an accept phase in order for it to be safe, right? In order for that coordination to be safe. What leader-oriented optimizations do is they just do the propose phase all at once. Right. So basically the leader says, okay, I have proposed for all of the following slots, right? They're mine. Right. <laughs> and so the leaders, so that it just takes away the proposed phase and everything after that is accept phase. So that's the leader oriented optimization. The fast Paxos optimization is we go straight to accept and we skip propose. And if we detect a conflict, then we have to do propose accept. And um. yeah, so what happens is you're optimistic in that there's no conflict. You can get these accepts through and you won't detect an issue. But if there is a conflict, then you have to go through the slow path, which is a proposed accept, but it actually has turned into three phases, right? Because you had that initial accept, then a propose, then an accept. So those are the two basic optimizations. Raft is the leader optimization. Epaxos is the fast path optimization. Right, yeah, I see the optimism in there. And it, yeah. that must work well when collisions are rare. Exactly. And exactly. then you've got all the fun of writing rollback code. <laughs> you do. And actually, the most complicated thing about ePaxos is that dependency thing, which gets into our point about applications, right? In order to detect a dependency, that's kind of an application level thing. Right. Like, how do you figure out, like, how do you tell Epaxos, like a generic Epaxos, that this thing is dependent on that thing? Right. X is dependent on Y, but not Z. Yeah. Right. Um, and so that's the tricky thing. And so Epaxos is probably better used in embedded into more specific applications where those dependencies are known. Um, but Epaxos massively increases the throughput because you don't have a leader bottleneck anymore. Um and so you'll get much higher throughput from Epaxos at the cost of having to figure out this dependency thing. But you can still get those strong consistency guarantees across the yeah. distribution Yeah, system. it's just as strongly consistent as Raft is. And should we be ambitious enough to try and implement that one ourselves? Um, that one is tougher uh, than Raft. <laughs> uh, unfortunately, there isn't that sort of nice one-pager one page, one thing uh, that Raft has. Um, absolutely for fun. Uh, I think you should do that. Uh, for production, there aren't as many reference implementations, right? So right. one thing we talked about with RAF is there's a huge number of reference implementations, right? HashiCore, um, SCD, <laughs> you know, Cockroach, like there's just a huge number of reference implementations that you can look at. Not so much with ePaxos, um, but I would like to see ePaxos start to grow. 
Um, the criticism with Epaxos is that you can't shard it like Raft, right? So Raft, you have this leader that's maxing out throughput. So if you have three nodes, you put three leaders on each of the on on each of the nodes. Whereas with Epaxos, all of the nodes are maxing their throughput. So the idea is if Raft can do five thousand messages per second, then you can get up to you know fifteen thousand messages per second with three, whereas Epaxos can do 15,000 messages per second, but it, it requires all three, right? You're maxing out the CPU of all three. Right. But and, you don't have to shard. Right, <laughs> Except yeah. Except you have to do this dependency thing. <laughs> <laughs> Are there particular kinds of applications where this shines? Yes. Uh, anything where the latency between messages is high. Uh, Epaxos was developed specifically for geographic replication. Right. Um, so, you know, my research, you know, what we thought is, you know, we, we have, uh, you know, vertical Paxos, which is you have a configuration Paxos and then the object Paxos or the command Paxos. If you have an ePaxos that's managing your sub rafts, right, that's actually a good way to really create a big system that goes across different regions, um, and has privacy guarantees and provenance aware things and, and, and right. that's what <laughs> is that um i mean that's sounding like a real nest is that something we can hire you to do for us are you, yeah. are you busy at the moment <laughs> <laughs> i am busy at the moment and that's exactly what we're thinking about is is how do we create these sort of large uh distributed systems that that are planet scale um and how can you replicate across them and uh our sort of mode of operation is you know, uh, mixing and matching, right? So having some layers that are doing Epaxos, some layers that are doing Raft, some layers that are doing eventual consistency with probabilistic entropy. Um, Yeah, so that's that's how we're building our distributed systems um, at Rotational Labs. Rotational Labs. Like, who are the clients for that? What's, are we talking like just the major large geographic players or is this something the smaller companies might need? I think this is something that smaller companies might need um, right now, small and medium-sized companies. You know, like I mentioned, it's very easy these days to put your application into a different region and therefore grow your market, mm. right? You have machine translation for I-18N issues, right? Mm. You have the cloud services to place your application in those countries. And it's easy to do that, but then you get into all sorts of complications once you start to manage those distributed systems. And what the cloud companies want to tell you is just use our service uh, and it'll just work um, mm-hmm. by default. Um, my favorite example of this going terribly wrong was the Pokemon Go release uh, by Niantic. Uh, I missed that one. Help me out. <laughs> yeah, so Niantic uh, was commissioned uh, to, to create the, the Pokemon Go mobile app, which was one of the first very successful augmented reality games, right? So, you know, I, I remember we were all joking back in the day, people walking around with their phones looking for these, like, Pokemon. Oh, yeah, <laughs> and, and how like, little monsters on spikes. the street through your phone. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, yeah. you use the camera and you would find these Pokemon, like, in the world, and there was gyms, and, you know, you could throw your Pokeball at it and capture them, and everyone's <laughs> Fitbit spiked because now everyone's walking around. <laughs> yeah. um, and it was a very successful game, but the release was highly chaotic. It was highly chaotic because I think they released in uh, like 50 countries simultaneously. Like they like they first released in Japan, then the U.S., and then it was like 50 countries. <laughs> Right. <laughs> <laughs> and people were having login issues, registration issues. You know, um, they weren't being able to capture Pokemon. It was like a real big issue. And when they diagnosed it, it was a distributed data system issue, right? The databases that they were using weren't replicating well. Uh, and all of these things were consistency symptoms. Um, so they ended up hiring Google to fix the problems. And so Google brought in their sort of cloud resources yeah. <laughs> and, and, you know, a Spanner and some other things to fix the issue uh, for Niantic and everything went smoothly uh, after that. And, 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 you know, it was a, a great tale, but when you're a small to medium company, right. Um, paying for Spanner is horribly expensive. Um, 
And, and so, buying in Google is never cheap, right? <laughs> exactly, <laughs> exactly. And and you do have to understand. I mean, you know, Niantic had experts help them, uh, you know, uh, redevelop their application for these new global consistency models. Mm. Um, and and so, if you want to go to market in a different region, right? I think you do have to consider this uh, problem uh, because you are going to have issues if you're selling something and there's an inventory issue and you know you know, is it fair that whoever uh, in in whoever's closest to your server gets the best, you know, deal, <laughs> right? Like, yeah. you, you don't really want that to have, happen. So you want to make sure that you're, you have a distributed system set up well. Um, and, and we're certainly interested in, in, uh, in making sure that that people can do that. And there are increasing number of companies trying to do that right across the globe because yeah, it's because it's initially so easy and obviously business desirable, mm -hmm. but the devil's in the details. The devil's in the details, and you don't know necessarily where your product is going to land or or where where you're doing is going to be um, gain the most traction. So it is important, I think, for companies to branch out besides just their local regions. Yeah. Yeah, I, years ago I sold a, um, a software thing, and it turned out my best market was Austria, Austria, far and away. Didn't see that coming. How do I target Austria? <laughs> yeah, I love stories like that. Yeah. <laughs> well, from from here in the UK to there in the US, our distributed system must come to an end. <laughs> we we could talk. I, we might have to have a sequel. Um, maybe we'll try and be in two different countries for that one. You That'd can be, be in Australia, I'll be in Singapore or something. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks very much for joining us. It was a pleasure. Thank you for having me. Thank you, Benjamin. And as I said at the start, that really has inspired me to do some coding. And if you caught our episode a few weeks back on Erlang and Gleam, I'm thinking actors, I'm thinking sending messages to a single serializable point, I'm thinking predictable failure modes this might be the gleam project i've been looking for i'll keep you posted if i manage to get that together i'll let you know and if any of you out there break out an editor and put something together please let me know but you don't have to start a repository to get in touch my contact details are in the show notes as always and the comment box the like button the subscribe button and such they're always there for you send your feedback across the globe and my inboxes will linearize them for you automatically and also take a look in the show notes if you want to check out rotational labs and see the problems that benjamin's actively solving with all these techniques and you can also look in the show notes for links to the original raft paper and a few related papers that might tickle your fancy and i think that brings us to the close of this consensus slot. I've been your host, Chris Jenkins. This has been Developer Voices with Benjamin Bengfort. Thanks for listening.